I have really been having some fun over the last day or so reading through a book called Why Business People Speak Like Idiots, A Bullfighter's Guide. And uh, one of the co-authors, Brian Fugier, is going to be joining us to uh, talk about what he and his co-authors believe to be uh, the major reasons why so much of the communication, so to speak, that, uh, that goes on uh, within the world of business and when the business world seeks to communicate with the rest of the world, why so much of that communication uh, gets bogged down in, uh, well, all kinds of, of problems, including uh, getting lost in, in jargon and, and, and seeming to erect all kinds of barriers which make it all but Im- impossible for us to, to understand what, what in fact is, is being communicated. Uh, it's a really good topic, and, uh, and it impacts on all kinds of different people in all kinds of, of different spheres. And the book, in addition to really offering some thought-provoking analysis and, and commentary, is also really, really funny. And I'm really grateful to uh, Brian um, uh, Fuger for joining us today on The Morning Show for the next few minutes to talk about this book and his hand in it. Brian Fuger, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thank you, Greg. You are called in the biography a recovering jargonaholic. Uh, tell us just a little bit more about uh, those sad earlier days for you. Well, I've, I've been a consultant for, uh, I'm in my 24th year now, and uh, you know, we're, we're among the worst of the worst. Uh, consultants are uh, part of the pro- a big part of the problem here. We, we invent a lot of the jargon and uh, are among the worst at, uh, at creating you know, obscure, obscurity and obfuscation uh, in our business. So we, we thought, uh, you know, physician heal thyself, it was time to do something about it. Uh, how did you get together with your two co-authors on this project? Uh, all three of us uh, work at Deloitte, and we had uh, begun to, we were all in the marketing uh, area, and we'd begun to do some focus groups with, with clients and, and, and prospects. And, you know, you sit behind the two-way mirror and, and listen to what people say about you. And an unexpected thing happened. We People started talking about the way consultants talked, and they were fed up with it. And we said, gee, we didn't expect to hear this. And the more we got into it, the more we found it wasn't just the consulting industry. People are fed up with uh, this kind of language and this kind of communication everywhere in business. And the more we talk about it, the more we find out it's not just business, it's even outside of business. Oh, very much so. And so I think that's one of the reasons why this is really worth worth discussing. We probably should make uh, a clarification for our listeners to the subtitle to the book, A Bullfighter's Guide. Well, it... it there is so much bull out there, and uh, uh, BS has just completely overrun the business environment. People, when they get to work in the morning, uh, they're overrun by it. And uh, the Bullfighter's Guide is um, meant to you know, talk about how you can uh, detect it and, uh, and, and, and fight the bull. Right. You and your co-authors sort of uh, analyzed this along four different lines, four different traps which you think business people tend to fall into, the obscurity trap, the anonymity trap, the hard sell trap, and finally the tedium trap. Uh, I'm just curious, tell us a little bit about how you came up with those. I mean, I don't mean so much specifically those, but just did you sit down and just start talking about this? I mean, how did you sort out the topic? We actually went and we did quite a bit of research. We, we started by, we, we, we believe there was a connection between straight talk and business performance. So we looked at uh, the, the companies in the Dow 30, and we analyzed 
literally thousands of documents. We looked at their website. We looked at their marketing literature. We looked at speeches by CEOs. Uh, uh, we, 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 we looked at uh, all sorts of company uh, uh, marketing brochures and literature, and we started to, we, we found a very interesting connection. We found that there was a connection between straight talk and financial performance. The straightest talking companies uh, outperformed the non-straight talking companies consistently in terms of both revenue growth and profit. So it was very, very interesting to find that connection. Then we looked a little bit deeper, and we, as we looked at you know, these thousands of documents and, and types of communications, they began to sort themselves out along these uh, these four traps that you mentioned. Let's talk about the first one, which is called the uh, obscurity trap. And uh, the term obscurity uh, brings to mind some, some other, uh, I guess, synonyms, which uh, which kind of tell us that. But it's, it's kind of the idea of, of communication, which seems designed not to clarify, but to do just the opposite. Exactly, and there's different different varieties of obscurity. Uh, a lot of it's jargon. Uh, people use overblown, inflated language to, you know, they use 50-cent words to make a 5-cent point. And uh, a lot of it's because they don't know what they're talking about, but some of it is a little more insidious than that. It's because maybe they have something to hide. Um, so using language to obscure or even hide the truth. We found, for example, we found that uh, we looked at Enron's communications, and the deeper and deeper they got into trouble, the more obscure their language uh, became in their, in their communication to shareholders. We also, obscurity is also uh, about size, um, length and, and verbosity. I mean, people uh, in business today, they take... They're unable to 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 make a point uh, in in uh, a very little uh, with very few words, and uh, so you get uh, overbloated uh, documents that are inflated with all sorts of lang- unnecessary language. I think my favorite moment in this chapter uh, points to probably the way in which obscurity in communication sometimes occurs inadvertently, and that is that you think a lot of it can come down to. Um, sort of self-centeredness, the business idiot's focus on himself over the reader. Exactly. You, 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 know, you may know exactly what you're talking about in, in your own little world. Um, you know, it, it, uh, be, be very comfortable speaking about uh, things that are of interest to you, but as soon as you put yourself in the shoes of your audience, all that language and all that self-interest you know, becomes a very different story. And uh, you know, if you if you try to crawl inside the head of your audience, uh, you begin to think a little bit differently, and it forces you to communicate differently. Hmm. When it comes to jargon, and you you devote a, a, at least a whole chapter or more to, specifically to, to jargon and and what it is and and why we use it, you mention the fact that that often jargon is something to which we very consciously turn when whatever it is we have to uh, communicate is is bad news. Business people are incredibly challenged at delivering bad news. I mean, it's very, very difficult. I mean, it's difficult for all of us to deliver bad news in everyday life. But in the business world, we are so afraid of delivering even a morsel of bad news that we couch it in all sorts of qualifiers and uh, you know, language to obscure what we're really trying to say. I mean, if we had a bad quarter... Why can't we just get up and say, you know what, we had a crappy quarter? People would identify with that, they would accept it, and they would be ready to move on. But when we couch it in, you know, all sorts of qualifiers and other language, 
people sniff that out and they say, well, they must not be telling me everything. There must be more to this story. And they suspect and become cynical about what the rest of uh, the rest of what you have to say. Mm. So it works. It actually works against you. Absolutely. Yeah, I like where you say the problem with say nothing windups is that they reduce the credibility of whatever follows. I mean, even if whatever you say after that is in fact true or correct, it's not going to feel correct or seem correct if it was preceded by a lot of uh, jargon-filled mumbo jumbo. Exactly. People have built-in bull detectors. They, they, they know it. The, the people are very smart. Uh, they know when, uh, you know, they're, when they hear a bull and their you know, detectors go up, their shields go up and, you know, it's like disbelieve everything that follows. <laughs> uh, in this chapter, you also uh, talk for a little bit about uh, another kind of jargon, which is not, uh, you know, the big lengthy words, but uh, the business world seeming a fascination with and affection for the acronym. <laughs> you really give us some uh, amusing <laughs> examples of this, too. Um, and I guess I never would have stopped to, to, to notice uh, just how pervasive this has become. Uh, but it, it really is, is, is a serious problem, uh, amusing though it might be on the surface. A- acronyms, you know, it, it, it's fine with when it's shorthand inside of a small, you know, tight-knit group of people who know exactly what you're talking about. But you know, when it gets beyond that small, tight-knit group, it's when it becomes obscure and, and quite honestly, offensive. I mean, how often have you seen, uh, you know, a document or a memo filled with acronyms, and you're saying, what? What the heck are they trying to say? And it, it's really, you know, kind of offensive. It's arrogant, and it's offensive to, 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 to the audience. Hmm. Uh, I think it's interesting at one point in this uh, chapter when uh, you're talking actually about um, kind of the, the, the principle of cutting to the chase, that you e- evoke uh, a name which is not going to be familiar to very many people at all, the name of Edward Everett. Yes, uh, there were uh, two speakers uh, at Gettysburg uh, when uh, Lincoln delivered his famous address. Of course, there was Lincoln, and uh, he happened to deliver an address that was 270 words long. Uh, there was one other speaker, and in fact, the, the um, so-called uh, keynote speaker, uh, was uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Edward Everett, and he delivered a 13,500-word address that took about two hours. Uh, you know, nobody remembers Edward Everett. <laughs> For those of you just joining us, uh, I am speaking today with Brian Fuger, co-author of Why Business People Speak Like Idiots. Um, the second trap you talk about is the anonymity trap, and it is in introducing this topic that I think you make one of the most uh, intriguing points in the whole book. Uh, When you say that while on the outside, every organization is trying to differentiate itself through advertising and marketing, on the inside, it's pushing everyone to be the same. There is an incredible pressure to conform once you join a company. Everybody feels it. Uh, you, you, You check your personality at the door when you join a company and when you come to work every day. And you feel like you've got to speak and think and talk like everybody else because when you look up, you know, at the top leadership ranks, you see people who, you know, look a lot alike. They're homogenous. And, you know, it, 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 the problem with that is that people connect with people. They, when you are able to show a sense of your humanity, show your vulnerability, show your personality, 
you can create a connection with people. Some of the greatest communicators and business leaders are able to do that. People you know, like Richard Branson, people like Jeff Bezos, people like Jack Welch, they let some of themselves out. They let a lot of themselves out and are much more effective business people, much more effective communicators, much more effective persuaders. But there's pressure when you join a business to not do that, mm-hmm. an incredible pressure. And our, our advice is to resist that pressure and to you know just let yourself be yourself. You say this is uh, how we can pass from artificial to authentic in the way we communicate. Exactly. It, it, business, is, business is a lot about persuasion. It's you persuade people to hire you. You persuade people to approve your budgets. You persuade people to promote you. You persuade people to go on dates with you. <laughs> business is about, and life is about persuasion, and the ability to persuade is just very, very heavily influenced by the ability to connect on a human level. Towards that end, you really give some interesting advice uh, in chapter eight of your book. Uh, the title heading of that chapter is. Uh, uh, five simple words for, I think you're saying, just about anybody in the business world. The, the, the title chapter is Pick Up the Damn Phone. And, uh, you know, it has email uh, and electronic communication have gotten, it, it, it's, it's on the one hand a miracle, on the other hand it's, it's cancerous for business. Uh, it's gotten to the point where people sitting next to each other five feet away in a cubicle would rather email each other than, uh, you know, uh, lean across the, the divider and, and have a conversation with each other. And it's because if you've ever tried to solve a difficult, have a difficult conversation or solve a difficult issue over email, it only makes it worse, not better. And yet people do it all the time. Mm. You say the voice is the ultimate weapon in the war on anonymity, and it's the best way to create a relationship. And yet so many of us seem to go out of our way to, uh, to take our voice our own individual voice out of the equation. It's exactly right. I mean, we've outsourced everything else. We've seemed like we've uh, outsourced our voices as well to uh, to technology and and uh, the higher up the food chain you go, you know, to people like speechwriters and coaches and things like and you know PR uh, uh, agencies and things like that. The the voice, your voice is your ultimate weapon. Uh, it's what um, allows you to get heard. Allows you to be you know it's why people like you. It's why people listen to you and We've outsourced that, and it's, it's really damaging our ability to be effective communicators. In the hard sell trap, uh, yet, yet another really intriguing point is made. Um, you say that uh, there seems to be this mindset among business people that everything has to be marketed and presented in kind of breathless fashion. Every product is a breakthrough. Every deal is too good to pass up and will expire in 10 minutes and all those kind of things. But you say that people hate to be sold to, but they love to buy. It's ex- exactly. Just think about, think about yourself. I mean, when somebody tells you how great something is, the first thing you think is, well, there must be something wrong with it. But if, if instead you're simply told, you know, let me just give you the facts. If you have a great product, if you have a great service, if you have something important and interesting to, to, to say and to sell, it will speak for itself, and you need to let it speak for itself. And yet too often we try... You know, to trump up uh, the benefits, it's like we're trying to sell uh, abdominizers on late-night TV. That it might work for that, but it doesn't work in the business world. People are too smart, they're too savvy, uh, and they, they're they interested in making up their own mind, not having you make up their mind for them. Hmm. 
Um, by the way, in this chapter, you also spend some time with the apology. Uh, one of those uh, things that sometimes seems like it's a dying art, and it's not because people aren't making mistakes anymore, but because people don't seem to uh, own up to to their mistakes very well. And you really uh, are anxious for people to be um, not so hesitant in apologizing. It confers having the courage to stand up and say, you know, I made a mistake. I mean, people, what we believe... Uh, what we found is that the harder you are on yourself, the easier others will go on you. We found, we took an example from the political world, uh, you know, George Bush had the opportunity not once but twice to talk about things he might have done differently, and he, you know, declined both times to mention that. Uh, unfortunate for him, uh, because it was really an opportunity to, to create and build credibility. It's, it's the same in the business world. You know what? We make mistakes. <laughs> Happens all the time. Uh, but uh, we're so afraid in the business world to admit to a mis- to a mistake, uh, and it really works against business leaders. Business leaders, people like Warren Buffett, who are able to stand up and say, you know what, I was wrong. I made a mistake. Uh, it's courageous. It builds credibility, and it helps. It helps them in whatever else they have to say. Hmm. Finally, you have all kinds of suggestions about avoiding the the fourth trap, which you call the tedium trap which is, uh, I guess, the, the, the mistake made by too many people in business that assume that, that things are interesting when, in fact, they're not. And it also underestimates people's uh, tendency to and even desire to ignore anything that isn't interesting. And if, you aren't, if, if that factor isn't, isn't on the map for you, then uh, you are wasting your time and everyone else's time with things that people just aren't going to pay attention to. Exactly. We are so bombarded with messages. There is so much competing for our attention these days that whether whether we like it or not, uh, business people are in the business of entertaining. You have to you have to create a reason for people to want to listen to you. And it, and it's not about you know necessarily Jay Leno uh, standing up and telling one-liners. It's about finding ways to make a connection with your audience. We we talk a lot about things like storytelling. You know, people have um, had thousands and thousands of years of, uh, uh, you know, g- genetic engineering to, to listen to stories and listen to narratives. They've had, you know, probably about 100 years where they've had to worry about things like stock tables and uh, manufacturing reports. So people have an enormous capacity to listen to and absorb and take meaning from things like stories. Uh, and yet we bombard them with, you know, facts and figures and graphs and charts that, uh, you know, people tune out. They simply tune out. So we have to make an effort to catch people's attention, to entertain them, and to keep them interested in what we're saying. And too few business people try and do that. Right. And at one point in, 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 this, uh, in this section of the book, you talk about making your point by making theirs, <laughs> making their point. That The whole idea of, of in assembling a, a, an agenda or an idea of what you need to say, that uh, you need to sort of take yourself out of just your own perspective and think about, uh, the people to whom you are about to communicate or or uh, or another company with whom you hope to set up some kind of relationship and uh, uh, it it's it's more than about you it exactly. needs to be about them exactly it's crawl out get outside of your head and crawl into theirs and it is a very simple technique that 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 can be used and yet it's amazing how infrequently it's used if you have an audience uh, somebody that you're meeting with a uh, group that you're speaking to or presenting to, how often do you really take the time and the energy? 
to talk to some of those people beforehand and ask them, what, what's, what are you worried about? What are your concerns? What would you like to hear about? And that simple act of not only finding that out, but then, but then communicating that back to your audience. And, you know, I talked to a few of you guys beforehand, and, or I called your customers, or I visited your website. Putting yourself in their world and taking yourself out of your world uh, can establish an immediate connection with your audience. It's, it's simple but it's just not done very often. Hmm. You touched briefly on the fact that story has enormous power to uh, captivate uh, someone else's attention. And um, you give some interesting ideas to, the, to our readers in terms of ways in which uh, someone in the world of business can think about story and the art of story and even some, some relatively simple ways in which a story can be made so much more compelling and memorable. Exactly. Even uh, there are, look inside your, your company for uh, things that have happened in the past or even legend. I'll give an example is Nordstrom's, uh, the, the retailer, uh, they sell high-end clothing. And there's a famous story about uh, a customer who walked into a Nordstrom store and uh, returned a pair of snow tires, which, of course, Nordstrom's doesn't sell snow tires. But the clerk said, uh, uh, thank you very much. Of course, we'll take them back and, and return the person's money. Now, th- there's no evidence that that's actually a true story, but it's a story that is told again and again and again in, in Nordstrom, the world of Nordstrom's, as a way uh, to communicate what their culture and philosophy and approach to customer service is. So it's, it's, sometimes you can find, uh, find stories like that. Sometimes simple stories, if you're not very good at telling, telling stories, y- you, can, you can borrow from Hollywood. There are all kinds of examples of play a movie clip uh, to, make, uh, to make a point. Uh, for example, if it's, uh, you know, hey, it's time to show results. Um, you know, show me the money from uh, Jerry Maguire is a good clip. There's, there's hundreds of clips out there that you can show. A lot of very simple techniques one can use to tell a story. And uh, you know, even as 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 you write about the 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 handheld video camera can be bumpy, grainy, not professional in the least, but you can make something very compelling out of three or four minutes of of candid footage that maybe captures customers or or or, or service people at work or or in in whatever kind of way. But boy, could something like that really stand out from it, something else that's just reams of paper? Exactly. We it uh, recalls a situation where we. Uh, as consultants, we're working with a company and working with them on their customer returns policy. And we, of course, did reams and reams of research and had, you know, the 100-page uh, PowerPoint document and made the presentation to senior management. And they kind of scratched their head and said, well, I still don't believe it. So we went back and, and took uh, about five minutes of video footage of, of, of clerks and asked them, you know, tell us about the customer returns policy. And, of course, they all had a conflicting and different story. Boom, case made. You know, everybody believes it's just that ability to see it, visualize it, hear it uh, is a very different kind of experience for people. We all know it, um, but and yet, yet we don't bring those kinds of principles to work with us. So, and even unprofessional, that even helps. You know, the fact that it's sort of homespun and homemade and, you know, not slick, uh, all the better. Mm-hmm. In the minute or so that remains, I'm going to ask you something that may surprise you a little bit. Uh, in the acknowledgments at the end of the book, uh, you thank a friend and colleague of yours named Jack Whitlin. You say, perhaps the least articulate and most effective communicator I've ever known. <laughs> Can you give us a nutshell summary of, of why you have thanked him like that? Jack, uh, you know, there's a lot of different 
types of eloquence. Um, one is, you know, the, the the very, very cleverly and carefully worded language um, that's uh, exactly the right, you know, uses the right words. Other the other types of eloquence are, and, and and we think more important are the ability to just be human uh, and just realize, uh, respect your audience, understand what's important to them, uh, and speak in language that you know connects with them and 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 is and and uh, uh, is focused on them and not you. And and Jack has that gift. Uh, Jack is a stutterer actually from birth and. Uh, uh, he he has a, a, a significant had a significant stuttering problem, but it didn't impact his ability to communicate with people because uh, he knew how to connect as a human. Hmm. That's really what this book is about. And again, the book is called "Why Business People Speak Like Idiots: A Bullfighter's Guide," published by Free Press. And we've been speaking with one of its authors, uh, co-authors, Brian Fuger. Brian Fuger, I really enjoyed the book and enjoyed talking with you today about it on the morning show. I thank you for your time. Thanks, Greg.